Well, there are times in life when it feels like everything is out of your control. And when that happens, it is so easy and natural to want to shrink back in fear or overextend yourself out of anger or frustration. So during this season of pandemic, what we simply want to do in this series called Be Bold is to look at what it means to be appropriately bold and to do so in a way that reflects a worldview on God. And what we're going to get into today is simply this. I want to show you what it looks like to pray boldly. And for some of you, as you think about the whole idea of praying boldly, you, you might think twice about it. So before you tune out, before you switch tabs, before you walk away from the video, I just want to acknowledge the different people who might be watching this. Um, some of you might be in a place where you pray regularly and you feel like you have prayer kind of figured out. Some of you might pray hardly at all. And maybe the reason is because you figure God knows everything already and he knows what he's going to be doing. So who are you to tell him what to do? But what I want to get to today is that God is pleased by bold prayers. And before we get into that, I just want to acknowledge too that when it comes to bold prayers, maybe it's not the type of bold that you're thinking of. What I'm going to do for this message is I'm going to intentionally hold back a definition for what a bold prayer looks like because first of all, I simply want to show you what it looks like uh, through an example that we're about to look at. And also, before I can show you how to pray boldly, I want to show you the mindset that goes behind bold prayers because when it comes to prayer, it's so much more than just reading something off of a piece of paper or reciting something that someone told you to memorize. Prayer is something from the heart. And if I was to, you know, breach the gap between you and me right now and bring you into this room and say, when was the boldest prayer that you prayed? What was that prayer and what caused you to pray it? You would probably come up with one or two things. And I'm reading your mind right now, so I could be wrong. But when it comes to the boldest prayers that you've ever prayed, I'm guessing it has something to do with one of these two sentences. Either I was desperate or there were no other options. I was desperate. Like, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want my parents to find out. I don't want to get arrested. Or there were no other options. The doctors took a look and there's nothing else they could do. And so I prayed more boldly than I ever have before. When it comes to you and your faith journey, what's the boldest prayer you've ever prayed? And as you think about that, I want to challenge you today to maybe think about prayer differently, or at least think about bold prayer in a different way. And again, in case, I, in case you drop out, in case we get dis disconnected, I'm going to give you like the bottom line right away. Not the definition of bold prayer, but kind of what prompts bold prayer. And I think this is something we could all agree on, and we're going to see this illustrated for us in just a minute. But this is number one for today. It's simply this. The more you desperately depend on God, the more boldly you will pray. And I'm not going to pull a trick on you like, you know what, you should all really pray on God in other times too. But what I wanted to maybe exercise today is looking at those two words, desperately depend, desperately depend. And what if we desperately depend on God more than we would like to admit? Well, as we look at this whole concept of prayer and bold prayer, we're going to do what we've been doing throughout this series. This is week three of Be Bold, and we've been following uh, an, an apostle or a disciple of Jesus named Peter. He was one of the original 12 people that Jesus chose to be his followers. And what we've been seeing is that after Jesus died and then three days later came back to life, 
Peter was transformed into a new emboldened version of his former self, transformed into a new bold person. And today we're going to look at an extremely bold prayer that he and some others uh, prayed up to God because of the circumstances of the day. But before I tell you that prayer, and before we read it, and in all fairness, you could easily pause the video right now and just read it for yourself. But if you want to do that, go ahead. But before I get to that prayer with you, what I think is so important as it was important for me, was to dig into the events leading up to this prayer. Because bold prayer is not just reading off a script. Bold prayer is more about the mindset, the the worldview, and where your heart is at before you even say a word. So we're going to jump into an account from Acts chapter 5. This is where uh, Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he was detailing what happened as the apostles went out to share the, the, the news that Jesus had died and come back to life. And today we're actually picking up right, we're picking up right where we left off last week, which was uh, Ben talked about how Peter preached boldly. He had this bold witness. And in one day, 5,000 new people, I'm sorry, 3,000 people came to know Jesus and believed in him. And that was an amazing day. And what we're going to look at today is what happened right after that. So we're not sure exactly how much time was there, but we know it was some amount of time. But what happened in Acts chapter 3, I'm going to summarize it real quickly, is simply this. That Peter and John were walking to the temple because it was time for them to pray. And not just time for Peter and John, but this was a time when many Jewish people would head to the temple to pray. And what they saw on the way there was something that everyone saw every day on their way to the temple. What had happened was some people brought a lame man to sit by the temple gate. And wherever there was a lot of traffic and a lot of religious people, someone who was poor, someone who was lame could ask people for, for donations, for their generosity. And so as they were walking to the temple, this lame man asked them for some money, which again was so ordinary. It was almost like this didn't deserve to be in the Bible except for what happened next. As Peter and John slowed down to look at this man, they came to the realization, we don't have any money for you, but we do have something else that we want to offer. How would you like to walk again? And as this man, long story short, we don't have time to get into all the details, but they, they healed him right there on the spot. They didn't give him any money, but they healed this man who was born lame. And this had an impact on the people all around because this wasn't the first time they had seen this man sitting at the gate. He had been here day after day. They knew, and Luke goes on later to say he was over 40 years old. Those people knew that this man had never walked a day in his life. But then suddenly at Peter's command that he be healed, this man jumped up and literally started dancing. So people gathered around, gathered around. And what Peter and John quickly realized was that they had an audience to be able to share the good news of what Jesus had done. And so right there on the spot, without a pulpit, without a crowd, without, or without a, a stage, without a, a megaphone, he just starts to address the people that had come around him out of curiosity because they had seen this lame man who was healed. And as these people come in, pe- more people started to take notice of what was going on, and especially the people who didn't like what was going on. You see, Peter and John were standing up near the temple, perhaps within the shadow of the temple. The temple 
where the Jewish society was, was centered, everything revolving around the concept of the priest and the system of things and the sacrifices and everything revolved around that. And now, within shadow's length of the temple, here are these two men diverting people away. So what we see in Acts chapter 4 is that this starts to get attention. Acts chapter 4 verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Now they they were greatly distressed and there's going to be three reasons that they're going to pick out that this is something distressing to them. It goes on. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people. And especially the captain of the temple guard would have been upset by this because they're not supposed to be teaching the people. That was supposed to be for the priests, for the rabbis, for the Pharisees, for the Sadducees. You can't just set up shop near the temple and start to teach people religious things. And so they were greatly disturbed by this. There was another thing that disturbed them. They were proclaiming Jesus. And this was something that obviously got their attention because less than, less than two months before this, they had sentenced Jesus to death. And now here they were proclaiming in the name of Jesus, they were propagating this movement that they had tried to put down. And then finally, they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And especially the Sadducees would have had a lot of issues with that because they believed that there was no resurrection from the dead. So long story short, there were several things about this that triggered multiple red flags. And as a result, Peter and John were confronted by the Sadducees, by the priests, by the captain of the guard. And since it was late in the day, There was no time to bring them to trial, no time to do anything official. So instead, what they did was this. They had Peter and and John arrested and imprisoned. They said, we can't deal with you today. What you did was obviously beyond the bounds of what you're supposed to do. So instead, we will put you in prison. And can you imagine what that night must have been like for those two men? Now they are in prison, just as Jesus had been in prison two months before. They'll soon face the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, the, the court, basically the Supreme Court of their day, they would soon face the same court that sentenced Jesus to be executed. And throughout that night, you have to wonder what's going through their mind. But in the morning, (laughs) the reality sets in. There's the high priest. There's all the the family members of the high priest. Here's all the royal court or the, the Jewish court. Here's everyone gathering together, many of whom, if not all of whom, had been present for Jesus' trial also. And in the course of this, the Jewish leaders tell Peter and John, stop doing what you're doing. You have to stop preaching Jesus because this is destroying our way of life. And Peter says, well, what are we supposed to do? Obey God or obey you? What should we do? And this goes back and forth for a while. And then Peter gives this excellent summary. Like he says, this is our bottom line. Acts chapter four, verse 12 says, Uh, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We cannot abandon what we've been teaching. If you ask us to stop, we can't. And this put the religious leaders into a awkward situation because they know that the people are starting to support Peter and John. 
And so they give some more threats. They, they tell Peter and John they really need to stop. And then by verse 21, we see that after some further threats, finally they let Peter and John go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for the miracle of healing this lame man. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. For over 40 years, this man could not walk, but now he was miraculously healed and people recognized this is something that God is doing. And you have to wonder too, like when it comes to these crowds who were praising God, like how many people are we talking? Well, as you heard last week, there were 3,000 people who heard about Jesus and came to have faith in him because of a bold message that Peter prayed or uh, Peter shared. But what we see today is a little detail that Luke includes in verse four. He adds an interesting detail that might show us why these religious leaders were a little bit uneasy. If we go back to verse four, he said, many who heard the message believed. So the number of men, and this is specific, men, not women, not children, but the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, if you're a, like a Bible trivia person, if, if you know kind of a little bit of at least background into Roman culture, that number 5,000 might be a little significant. 5,000 men was the number of uh, soldiers who would be in a Roman legion. And I did a little bit of, of research. If you go back to the first century at about this time, if you can trust what's on the internet, and for this I kind of do, there were about 25 legions in the Roman army, which tells you this. A legion was the biggest group of soldiers that they would count. And after that, they would just add another legion and another legion and another legion. Occasionally, they would put them all into armies and send them off places. But a legion was like the biggest unit they would count in the Roman army. 5,000 men. So what does this tell you? Peter and John and the disciples had a legion of men behind them. These rulers, these religious rulers, as they talked to Peter and John, they recognized these men... <laughs> they're not just two men. It's not just a group of 11 men. It's not just a few followers. We are dealing with an army here. And if they would do anything against us, we would be in trouble. Now, I want to turn this on you real quick because when it comes to the bold prayer that we're about to see, there would have been no bold prayer if Peter and John fell back to this. But they saw something better that they had, something better than a legion of men to, to back them up. But before I get to what they had, I want to ask you, or at least invite you to think about what you might have. In fact, as you look at what gives you boldness in your life, uh, you might have to ask yourself a question that I wrestled with this week, which was, what makes me bold? What makes me bold? And the answer I came to was a little unsettling. You see, so many, of the, so many of the times that I'm bold, it's because of what's behind me. Um, or I put it this way. Sometimes there's a legion of something behind me. And because there's so many things or, you know, such a big amount of things, it makes me bold for whatever I'm doing. Like, for example, uh, this isn't me on social media, but if you've got 5,000 followers on, on Instagram or whatever it is, you will be bold in how you post things and, and you'll have a voice. If, if you've got a, 
you know, a bunch of nice cars, you've got a legion of cars behind you, and that might give you some boldness and, and some uh, say within, within car lovers. Um, how about this? If you've got a legion of friends behind you, you'll probably be bold to do whatever they find acceptable. So many times when I think back to moments in my life when I was bold, it's because I've felt that I had a legion of things behind me or a legion of people behind me. Maybe not a legion, maybe just a handful, and for me that was enough. Is that true of you too? Where sometimes you find yourself being bold, but the only reason you're bold is because of the things or the people that you feel like are behind you. And what I want to share with you today is that not only is that inefficient, like not only are you not going to get where you want to go (laughs) by that kind of boldness, but what I also want to share with you is that this kind of boldness is something that will keep you far from God also. When the voices of the people around you speak into your boldness more than he does, that separates you from God. And when our boldness depends more on the people who like us, when it depends more on the things we have, those are such short, temporary things that will inevitably fall away. And then we'll be left with a gap between us and God. And that is what Peter and John knew. No matter how many thousands of men they had, they had something so much better. This is what they knew. No legion behind you can compare to God being for you. For them, as we've said in the last two weeks, for them, this was without a doubt because they knew that Jesus was executed on a Roman cross and they experienced, they were eyewitnesses of him being alive three days later. This is what they knew. No amount of men, no size of an army could compare to God being for them. And I hope that today you can see that for yourself also. That as the gospel comes to you today, you would see the short-sightedness of the things we used to be emboldened by. Not that you have to take them away, but to know that you have a God who is for you. A God who forgives you. A God who took your sin to the grave and a God who raised again to life. A new life for you. And as Peter and John were in the wake of this. You know, here they are being arrested for what they were doing. They were serving God and they were arrested. And some of you might not be praying to God right now because you're in a season of life where you feel like God is against you. But I want to show you what they knew. Even though they were being persecuted for their faith, they recognized that there was something greater. God was for them. So on their release, as the story goes on, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And this would have startled the people to the core because this is starting to sound very familiar to what they told Jesus just 50 days previously. And as they, they, told, they uh, heard these things, no doubt they were struck to the heart. And no doubt some of them began to think, You know, we've got a legion of men that we could tap into. Maybe we should get some swords. Maybe we should get some weapons. Maybe we should form a garrison. Maybe we should just create a little city where we can be safe. But instead of turning their attention towards the legion behind them, they turned their attention towards the God who was for them. And when they heard this, when they heard what was reported, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And what is about to unfold 
is the boldest prayer you will see in Scripture. A prayer that isn't bold because it follows a certain recipe, although I will give you the framework for it at the end. It's a prayer that's bold because of the heart behind it. And these people are turning to God out of desperation and help. Here's how it goes. Sovereign Lord. Sovereign means the one in control, the one who's, who's got command over all. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And that might sound really irrelevant at the moment because Peter and John were just arrested and now they're facing persecution and they've been told to be quiet, but they don't want to be quiet. And yet they start off their prayer by saying, God, you made. You made the heavens, the skies, you made the earth, you made the sea, and God, you made everything in them, which means God has everything in his hand. He has everything under his control. And you know what? The bold prayers will begin with that confession, with that acknowledgement that God, you are the creator. First thing that a bold prayer includes is God, you are. You are the one who made this world. You're the one who created it. You're the one who formed me. You are the one who knows me from head to toe. You are the one who has my hairs counted. You are the one who knows my past. You are the one who knows my future. A good, bold prayer will acknowledge to God who he is. Not because he needs to be reminded of it, but because it places your heart in a position to be bold with what you need to say. And after those believers that day with Peter and John had declared who God was, they went on to do something else. They said, God, you you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David. And this was, they were quoting one of the Psalms written a thousand years before Uh, they, They were even born. So this was what was written. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Uh, simply they quoted scripture. They, They pulled a psalm and they said, this is what you said. And the reason they do this is because they are reminding themselves as much as they are saying to God that what they are enduring is not out of God's eyesight. He can see what's going on. In fact, he could see what was going to happen a thousand years before it happened. So as much as as good as it is to say, God, you are, you are the creator. You are the one who knows me. It's also good to say, God, you said. To, To say, God, you saw what was coming. And for them to say, God, you knew what would happen to Jesus. You knew that the nations would conspire, that the Jews and the Greeks and the Romans, they they would work together to to, um, punish and to kill your son. You said this would happen. And for us today, it's not quite so specific because all the scriptures have been fulfilled, but we can still pray to God and say, God, you said, that all things will work together for the good of those who love you, who've been called according to your purpose. God, you said that there will be trouble and hardship in this life. God, you said that I am more than a conqueror in Christ. God, you said that you are always with me. Never, never will you forsake me. A bold prayer will acknowledge who God is, but it will also recall what God has said. And then their prayer, their bold prayer continues with this. 
Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And again, so far, nothing in this prayer is news to God. Everything they're saying has literally been God's plan. It's, it's been part of God's purpose. And sometimes when you and I pray to God, we might feel a little silly by saying, hey, God, here's what happened yesterday. But that is part of a bold prayer because it brings God's identity and God's promises into the realm of your personal experiences. That is powerful. And that is life-changing. So in addition to God, you are, and God, you said, you also say, God, here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. And as you lay this before God, again, not to tell him anything, but to bring together everything he is and everything he said into the sphere of your life, that is where his comforts and his gospel and sometimes his rebuke can step in to give you what you need. And now here comes the really bold part of their prayer that day. Verses 29 and 30 get to the heart of it. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Um, in other words, now, now, sovereign Lord, would you consider who these people are that we're dealing with? The, the people that Peter and John faced on trial are the same people who crucified Jesus. And now they're trying to thwart your church from spreading the good news. We're not selling anything. We're not pushing anything. We're sharing good news of forgiveness with all people. And so as you consider what they're trying to do, how would you finish that? God, as you consider their threats, smite them with your almighty power and vengeance. Hallelujah. God, consider their threats and cut them off from the face of this earth and let, have nothing, let us have nothing to do with them. Instead of that, what made their prayer so bold is that they didn't deflect things into hatred for the world or anger against the people around them, but rather as they took what was happening around them, they deflected that back onto themselves and what God could do in them. Maybe here's something important. When you pray to God, the most important thing is not to pray for him to change the other people around you. You can do that. But maybe the thing that you need to pray for most is for God to change you. Because here's what they said in their bold prayer. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. There's this hurdle in front of us. Give us the power to jump over it, to go around it. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God, don't destroy them. Empower us. Give us the ability to heal and to get out the good news of your Savior. So God, you are great. God, you said this would happen. God, here's what's happening. And then finally, the last part of their prayer is this. Enable your servant. Enable us to do what we need to do. And as you look through this formula, and I encourage you to, you know, take these four things and make a prayer out of this for yourself this week. As you look at this formula, it's not earth shattering. I mean, three of the four things are just recalling things that God already knows, and he already knows everything to begin with. Uh, even though this prayer isn't necessarily earth shattering, 
as we're about to see, it was ground-shaking. This was something that set the church on fire. This set the precedent for what would happen going forward. The power of Jesus and the certainty of his resurrection is what propelled these disciples and these followers to go boldly forward to share the gospel of Jesus no matter what. And what solidified it was this. Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And as Luke records this, he's probably thinking, ah, the readers, they're not going to believe it. But as he <laughs> records what happens that day, he has to say, this is what happened. We have to record it. We have to share it. The, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God, you are the creator. God, you said the nations would conspire. God, here's what's happening. We've seen it happen. Now, God, enable your servants. The simple formula, the simple checklist for a bold prayer comes from the heart that acknowledges our desperate need for God. Next slide. God, you are. God, you said. Here's what's happening. Now, enable your servant. As you process this message today, whether it's right now in the moment or a little bit later during lunch, or if you're listening to this online later, as you process this message, I hope that you can take this simple framework that the early church gave us and make it a personal prayer for you this week. Just make it a one-week thing, starting Monday morning. I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm not going to give you the words for it. The words have to come from your heart, but I will give you this framework. God, you are the one who created me and redeemed me. God, you said there will be trouble in this world, but that you will never forsake me. Now, here's what's happening in my life, and here are the struggles that I'm going through. God, maybe you'll change the circumstances in my life, but more than anything, would you enable me, your servant, to be faithful to you and to share your word with this world? Because what we all know is that the more you depend on God, the more you boldly you will pray for him the more desperate you are for God in your life. And the more you depend on God, the more you will boldly pray. What if we're more desperate? And what if we're more dependent than we thought? For closing thought today, I know that uh, this is a message that primarily hits middle class Americans. And honestly, we're not that desperate when it comes to physical needs. Even in the wake of a pandemic, yeah, things are troubling and there's stress and anxiety, but our food is taken care of. There's places that we can go. So I want to challenge that for a moment. Um, if you are struggling, I pray for you that, that God would take care of you through this time. If you're kind of okay, if, or if you're doing well during this time, here's especially what I want to challenge you with. And it's the last thing on this slide here. Pray as if God is your only option even when there are other options. Even when there's medications you can take, what would it look like if you prayed like God was your only option as you pursued these medications? Even if there are loans that you can go out and apply for, what would it look like if you prayed as if God was the only option to take care of you? What if there are things you can do and should do, but in the meantime, you pray as if you are pursuing God as you're most desperate and you are most dependent on God? him. Would you think about that this week? Would you think about praying as if God is your only option, even when there are other options? And here's what I know will happen. It, it might not happen that 
It's an earth-shattering prayer that you get out every day. But what I believe is it will shake your life and it will shake you to the point where you start to see God's providence and God's forgiveness and God's purpose more than ever before. Thanks so much for joining us in today's message. Next week, we're going to continue looking at the life of Peter and his boldness as he preaches boldly to maybe more people than he was comfortable with. We'll get to that next week, but for now, let me close today with a prayer for you. Dear Father in heaven, there are so many things going on in the world in a regular year, and yet today in 2020, even more things go on that remind us of how little control that we have. And while it can be so easy to shrink back in fear or to overextend ourselves out of frustration, I pray that you would help us land in a place where we are bold, bold in prayer, and bold in prayer, realizing that we are completely dependent on you, whether we feel like things are under our control or not. I pray for everyone listening today, uh, whether they are members of North Cross or maybe they're tuning in from across the country, whether they're lifelong Christians or just checking out this God thing for the first time, I pray that today's message would be a clear window to the love that Jesus has for them and the purpose and boldness with which we can carry our requests to you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.